it. Played by Westbrook. Ginobili for three. Yes! One-point lead for San Antonio. Terry, a long three. Bang! Jason Terry gives the Mavericks a seven-point lead with 33 seconds remaining. Simmers bring it in. Five seconds to go. Tie game. Seat belts are fastened. Lou Williams for the win. Bingo! Oh my goodness. Are you sick and tired of paying large amounts of fees on your ticket purchases? Look no further than TickPick.com. TickPick is a one-stop shop for all your entertainment ticket needs. NBA games, NFL games, NCAA basketball games. It doesn't matter. They've got it. I've purchased concert tickets, college football tickets, NFL tickets on there. They truly are the best one-stop shop for all your entertainment needs. And with no fees like Ticketmaster and Subhub, you are getting the best guaranteed price on the market. And for a limited time, check out TickPick.com slash SixManPod or under SixManPod when you go to check out for $20 off your first purchase that's twenty dollars off your first ticket purchase at tickpick.com using promo code six man pod and now back to the show hello and welcome to a bonus episode of the six man podcast having one of our favorite guests on james lloyd of the indie star and james i gotta say man the pacers are still making the news every day it seems because russell westbrook apparently wants to play here Apparently, no, I'm joking. Um, that's been the rumor. Uh, I mean, you could listen to Zach Lowe. Um, you could listen to some of these other outlets, Bleacher Report, that have proposed a Russell Westbrook to the Pacers trade. Um, as I've said in a piece that I wrote, um, as I've said on other podcasts, I was just on the, the Lakers SB Nation podcast. Um I don't see a realistic scenario for this happening. I do understand why it's a possibility. Like I understand why it's even out there because at this point in his career, Russell Westbrook expiring contract is very exciting for a team that isn't really interested in Russell Westbrook, but again, the expiring contract. Um, Now the money that he's making or due to make next season will be about $47 million which is around the same that Malcolm Brogdon and Buddy Heald would make together for next season. And again, if this hypothetical trade were to go down, the Pacers would, would move those two guys for Russell Westbrook, get them back um, and save probably about $60 million because they get off of the two years that uh, Buddy Heald still has left on his contract. They get off the three years that, Malcolm Brogdon still left on his contract. But again, um, I don't think that those two players um, are worth Russell Westbrook. I think they're worth a little bit more if you are going to move them, if you are going to look at some trades. Um, And there's been, again, Zach Lowe's mentioned that they would maybe sweeten the pot and throw in two first-round picks. But the thing about those first-round picks, um, the Lakers don't have a first-round pick to give away or trade until 2027. So all that in mind, I just think it's a ridiculous uh, trade, Um, something to just get people talking, especially the Pacers fans in my mentions all the time. Um, (laughs) I I am objective when I say this and not as a fan or anything. I truly believe that the Pacers should not make this trade, mainly because um, bringing Russell Westbrook in either to play him alongside Halliburton, which would just stunt his growth, or buy him out. So therefore you're paying for a guy that you're not going to play, it will basically guarantee you're going to have another really bad year. And from everything I've heard internally, externally, the Pacers aren't interested in being a bad team again next year. The idea is to, you know, uh, hopefully get a top three, four pick um, and get right back in the thick of things next season with the healthier team, with Miles Turner returning, obviously anchoring the defense and pushing for that play in playoff berth, um, which is what Pacers fans are used to. I mean, this is, 
This is their worst record, the 25-57, since, I believe, 1986. It's been 38 years yeah. since they've been this bad. So I'll leave it to you all to kind of piggyback off what I said, but have me on the record as saying this trade should not happen, and I would say in all likelihood will not happen. Yeah, but just think of the Westbrook jersey sales that the Pacers are going to have. Man, no. I, I just I, This is how I look at it, too. From a, uh, from a different perspective, um, as you all know, I travel around with the team. I go to all the games. I was in L.A. when um, the Pacers actually beat them for one of their 25 wins this season. And when Russell Westbrook caught the ball, the fans are, you know, huffing and puffing or groaning when he's making a decision. So I'm thinking to myself, this is your hometown. And if they don't love you, if you come here to Indiana and – don't play well, which I, I don't, I'm not saying that Russell Westbrook is, you know, an awful basketball player or something like that. He's just not who he used to be. Like, he's still better than a good majority of the league. I don't think you can average 18, 7, and 7 or whatever it was and not be a relatively productive player. He's just not that star player that he used to be. I don't think he's a star anymore in the NBA. And, again, if you were to bring him here um, with the way he plays the game, um, I do not think that there would be many Russell Westbrook jerseys in the stands. I think that fans would be very, very upset with the Pacers for basically um, swinging on a long-term, you know, uh, a deal and, and, and missing in the short term and basically, again, solidifying is going to be bad for next season and foreseeable future until you're able to cash in on those first-round picks and other assets. But, again, I don't think this is going to happen. I think it's just, you know, something interesting to talk about. And, um, you know, it's obviously good, I guess, for engagement if you want to just throw things out there and get views and clicks. I am guilty of it myself. Everyone talked about it so much. I had to write a piece about it to, again, state why this is not as realistic as people are making it seem. I feel like whenever the Lakers come up in any trade scenarios, um, they're always top dog and people don't look at it from the perspective of the other team. So this is a very Lakers-leaning trade, but obviously the Pacers aren't interested in, you know, leaning the Lakers' way. Right, and the only th reason why I would even be open to the idea is because West Westbrook plus bringing back Lance Stevenson would just be the most electrifying basketball for 48 minutes a night. Like, those two running the court together would just be absurd. Electrifying is the one word you could use. I don't know, Cam, you want to Absurdly funny, you mean? Oh, it would be awesome. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think that that would be – I would have a lot of chances to write about like the play that, 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 you know, O'Shea and Lance and Tyrese had, there would be more plays like that, but there would also be a lot of really, I think low lights if, if you were to combine those two. Oh yeah. Um, but again, this is not a realistic thing. I think Tyrese Halliburton is your, is your point guard of the future and you don't want to do anything that takes the ball out of his hands. And Russell Westbrook is as ball dominant as they come. I want to I want to really start off this with is it true that Malcolm Brogdon is essentially out the door like I keep seeing that everywhere uh that they have no interest in keeping <laughs> is Malcolm Twitter? Brogdon. Yeah. Well, I I have read it on ESPN, I've read it on CBS Sports. Uh even my one of my professors has been like talking to other Indianapolis media guys saying like yeah, Brogdon just doesn't seem like part of the future for the Pacers. And to me, it's like his value can't be good. Like what, what are you going to, what are you going to get back if you actually get rid of Brogdon? Like. Here's my thing with Brogdon. It's, it's all injuries. Like he, he doesn't play a lot in his career. Um, he's, I think he roughly plays about 60 games a year, which isn't a really good number. And he's only getting older. So I don't expect the number to really go up. Um, but here's my thing with him and in regards to Buddy Heald. If it comes down to which one you'd rather have, I would go Buddy Heald um, because he's like the complete opposite of Malcolm Brogdon. I don't think he's as good a player because Malcolm Brogdon, when he was healthy this year, he averaged 19, 5, and 5, which are good numbers. Um, he's a versatile player, but Buddy doesn't miss games. Like he's pretty much available every single game. He's also a pretty good three point shooter. I know his percentage dipped this season. But it's still about 36%, which I think is like a tick above league average. Um, and he's shooting like nine attempts a game. So he, he's going to make the defense um, recognize him. The thing about Malcolm Brogdon is 
if you were to move him, what would you get in return? And from what I heard, at least earlier at the trade deadline, that type of thing, um, the Pacers want a, a good young player in return um, and or a first-round pick. So I don't think that he'll get moved, like, right away or anything like that. I don't think that he's, like, on the hot seat either because, as we all know, the grass isn't always greener. Like, it's, it, with his availability issues, um, with his style of play, you know, it might not be the most perfect fit next to Halliburton, but I don't know right now um, who they would be able to get to, you know, basically justify moving him. Um, but I would say if it came down to him or Buddy Heald, I would keep Buddy Heald because he's just a, a safer bet because he's going to play. Um, but again, it's hard to, you know, I, I hear you saying people saying like, oh, he's out the door. He's this, he's that. That's hard to say without knowing what pick you have. I mean, if you get a really, if you get, you know, the number four pick or something and you end up with Jay Nivey, um, then you're like, hey, we got another wing guy. Do we need Malcolm Brogdon or should we move him and get younger or get an asset? Um, but if you end up with, you know, uh, uh, the number nine pick or something like that, or you end up, even if you end up like, if we want to keep dreaming, the number one pick and you end up picking a big, like, like Paolo or something like that from Duke, um, again, just positionally, I don't know how quickly you move on from Malcolm Brogdon. Um, from everything he said to us, he wants to be here. Um, I, I, I don't think the pairing alongside Tyrese Halliburton is a bad thing. I think it works pretty okay. I think that they just need more time to probably gel it out. But again, with Malcolm Brogdon, betting on time and consistency and availability is, is kind of a gamble. And at this point, it's probably safer to guess that he continue to miss games because that's just what he's done his entire career. Yeah, it, it, you know, you never know. He's like a mixed bags. There's so many times where I look at the way Brogdon plays, he is like the best player on the Pacers, you know. And there was even times we had Sabonis where he was the best player on the Pacers. Yeah. But the inconsistencies and everything um, are really interesting uh, from this Pacers team as a whole. Obviously, the worst defense in the league for like the last 60 games. You factor in. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure coming into the year, I think the, the team thought they were going to be 500 and they, they just weren't. Um, now I want to, I want to transition to McConnell. Um, first off, the fact he came back this year was fascinating. to me. I love the fact he came back, grinded his way back to play the last few games of the season. That showed a lot of character and a lot of heart. And I also think he still has to try to win some faith with Rick Carlisle. So that might've been part of the reason why. But I've also been seeing McConnell's name pop up as like potential players to move this offseason. Again, it's going to depend who we draft with 31 overall, obviously being a, you know, potential quality backup player. But, you know, do, does McConnell's future here make a lot of sense? Uh, you know, again, a little older. What, what are we thinking McConnell wise as a backup, a backup one? Zach is really concerned about the Pacers' future and all these guys on the team, all these rumors that he's hearing. No, I think that he'll be here. Um, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he's a great locker room presence for everyone that I heard. Um, and just being on the road, seeing how he interacted with guys even when he was out and injured. Um, they love him. Um, and I, do, I don't think that he had anything to prove with Rick Carlisle at all, honestly, as far as what he brings to the table. Um, I think he showed that throughout the first 20, I think he played the first 24 games of the season. Um, and the thing about him is he is who he is. Like he is one of those players where you don't have to worry about him clamoring, clamoring for a bigger role, um, complaining about what his job is. He knows when I go out there, my job is to, you know, distribute the ball, you know, play good on ball defense, hustle, take charges, like do all the little things that basically define his career. Like he went undrafted out of Arizona, and he's a 6'1 guard in the NBA. I think he just completed his sixth or seventh season. So, I mean, this kind of shows that, you know, you don't really get to where you are in this league at that size um, unless you know what you bring to the table and what you're really, really good at. So I don't think he's going anywhere. I think that, if anything, he is a legitimate backup point guard and someone that you can rely on. And it gives you a similar look to Tyrese Halliburton in the sense that he pushes the ball, um, he's going to play with pace, and the guys love that. I mean, a guy like O'Shea Brissett 
really blossoms playing alongside guys like that because all he has to do is just cut and run. He's talked about, you know, playing alongside guys like that who make his job so much easier. So I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, and from everything that I heard as far as the risk, it was literally just him wanting to prove or feel something or get a taste of, you know, the game that he loves before he heads into the offseason. So um, his situation was different than Miles and others because it was a wrist. Um, it's a bone, you know, ligament thing. So as long as he was able to strengthen his arm, um, he was fine. And he also was able to get conditioning in while he was out because unlike Miles, he could run and things like that and stay in shape. We saw him often running and doing, you know, uh, sprints in practice. And, and it kind of reminded me of my high school days, you know, when coaches timing you and stuff like that. Jenny Busek even got on there, um, got in there with him a few times. So that was good to see. But I think he stays, man. He's a high character guy. He's a hard hat guy. All the cliches, but I mean, it kind of fits him because, again, he knows who he is and what he brings to the table. Yeah, and you need a guy like that, especially like in your backup point guard role. I think that's really the most important, you know, it, the most important place to have him, especially if you're going to have a, you know, ball dominant score as your starter like Halliburton. You know, you can bring in, you know, while Halliburton's on the bench or you can, you know, space him a certain way. You let somebody play that defense and, you know, you, you know, you can let Halliburton focus off offensively. And yeah, it's, you, you know, you need like an Alex Caruso, you need a TJ McConnell teams need a player in that role to, I think really succeed these days. You're going to need somebody who can play on ball defense from a guard position. Absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's at a premium. I mean, we saw what we're seeing, what um, Jose Alvarado is doing, a uh, Grand Theft Alvarado out there with yes, the Pelicans and what he's doing against Chris Paul, who is, you know, one of the greatest players of all time and greater than Allen Iverson. It pains me to say this because I'm an Allen Iverson fan, but for those on my Twitter who are arguing me about this, Chris Paul is better than Allen Iverson. I'm sorry. It is true. It is factual. Get your emotions out of it. But getting back to the point, though, um, in all seriousness, having a guy who can be an on-ball pest, who can make it harder on those guys, all these dynamic guards in the NBA who are bringing the ball up, is, uh, is, is a unique skill and something that you don't see that often. So I think you just give that away. Like, I know he's not a flashy player. You're not going to get 20-point games out of him. But you're going to get, you know, smart plays, um, hard playing T.J. McConnell all the time. That's just who he is. You never have to worry about the type of stuff. And, again, he's very much egoless. Like, he, he knows who he is. Um, he isn't, you know, going to get out here and say, hey, why are you guys running everything to Tyrus Halliburton or something like that? Because he knows uh, his role and he's very good at it, frankly. The last player on this team who is probably going to leave, sadly, Jalen Smith. First off, it was awesome to see him just like flip a script entirely because I think a lot of people were claiming he was a bust, uh, especially coming out of, off of a Phoenix roster who basically gave him away for Torrey Craig, right? Like that's, you know, Torrey Craig's not anybody, anyone writes home about, but Jalen Smith with the Pacers just seems to be a totally different player. Him and Bagley both found a way to kind of revitalize their career. So obviously kind of said, I liked it here. They gave me an opportunity, but what do you, what do you think the actual odds are the Pacers can keep him? If we're talking percentages, I would go 5%. Because, and it's not even a loyalty thing. I think fans have to really get over the, you know, the patients gave him an opportunity and he excelled with it and all this other stuff. So maybe he should be loyal to us or something like that. No, this is the NBA. Um, and as we can see, it is cutthroat. Um, you know, they, they cut Kiefer Sykes with two games left in the season. Granted, that was to bring in Nate Henson and, and Gabe York and give them opportunities. Obviously, Nate Henson actually went into the COVID protocol, so he wasn't able to play, but Gabe York had a dream come true in those last two games in. But we've seen how the NBA works. Um, I mean, the, the Pacers cut Keelan Martin when he was in, uh, you know, in, in the COVID protocol. So um, on the flip side of that, when a player has a chance to control his future, I don't think you should be so blind to what you can actually make on the market to stick with the team that gave you a chance. Like, yes, I'm sure he's grateful for it. Yes. I'm sure the, the patients would love to have him back, but I mean, when you're restricted to this unique situation where due to his rookie contract, you know, his last year's rookie contract, not being picked up and being declined um, for those of you who don't know, I'll explain it. So, you know, that third year, basically, 
um, since the Pacers picked him up or traded for him, they're only able to offer him $4.5 million to come back for another season. Um, and this means that any other team could offer him more money and more years. And so for a player like him, who I believe is 22, you know, and shot 35% from three in his games with the Pacers, um, you know, showed some versatility on the defensive end, being able to switch a little bit. Um, I think that, that he could easily, easily at the low end, get two years, 10 million from someone. So I don't think he's going to be back. Um, I think it was a, it was a cool experiment. I don't blame the Pacers for making the move, um, but it would take some absolute loyalty on his part. And frankly, in my opinion, some naiveness to um, sell himself short of what he could really make because he might be able to, you know, make upwards of two years, 20 million if he talks to the well, right team. And, 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 and that's the thing. It's, it's not just his first year from, from what I understand, like anything beyond that, any other contract beyond that would be that uh, they would have a further restriction onto onto what they could offer him as well now is it something where like the Pacers could like maybe backload a contract for him uh and, and be able to keep him in or, or is that like a true restriction like hey we can only sign you for one year for 4.5 4.7 yeah I believe it's just the one year 4.5 I'd have to check and double check but after everything I've read um from the time that I explained it in my own writing I believe it's just that one year 4.5 and then he would become, I believe, uh, you know, an unrestricted free agent. Again, I would have to look at the terms. Tony East probably knows a lot better than me because he's like my uh, my my cap free agency guru friend. But um, I do believe that's that's the biggest issue, because um, if they were able to backload a deal, that's a different that's a different story. Um, but I do think it's just a one year, four point five. And again, if if anybody in life, if you're able to, you know, get longer, you know, if you're anybody working a job is able to get a longer deal worth more money, we all would take that. I don't think he should, you know, make an exception just because he's a basketball player. So it was a good experience. Um, I do like his temperament. Jalen's a cool guy. He's very self-aware. Even when he got ejected in Orlando and we asked him about it and he told us about his mom texting him and stuff like that. He's like, I, you know, he's very much accepting of, you know, what he does right and wrong. He had like the bad foul one time. I believe it was against the, the Cavs where he basically gave the game away because he committed yeah, a foul. Yeah. Um, and he didn't, like, know the foul situation, but he got up there and spoke to us um, after the game and owned it. And I remember saying, like, hey, Rick Carlisle said it's his fault. And, and he's like, no, I won't, I won't let them take the, the, you know, the, I won't let them take the heat or whatever. And, you know, it, both sides are trying to, like, make sure they downplay the other one's fault. But as the player out there who made the mistake, he owned it. So um, in that regard, I probably missed that because he's pretty, he's pretty much a straight shooter. Yeah. Um, but again, he, he came here and he, and he did what he was supposed to do from his perspective and prove that, you know, he is or was worth being a, a lottery pick. And it's funny because he was picked two spots ahead of Tyrese Halliburton. So here's the big question now. Let's just say the pick doesn't matter. You get your dream. The pick doesn't matter. No, all right. <laughs> Zach. Where, where we, where we Zach. pick doesn't matter. You have to. You have to pick a player that you just want to cover as, as a writer. Is there anyone in this draft you're looking at like they would be the dream pick as a writer to cover? Ah, man. That's, that's – I'll say this before I get into like who I would want to cover because I to me I don't really know until I guess I get to know them and, and talk to them. Um, I would say – if the Pacers um, are blessed by the basketball gods to have the number one pick in the draft, um, my first pick would probably be Paolo from Duke or Jabari from Auburn. Um, I believe Paolo has the body right now to come in and be a really dynamic special player. Obviously, there'll be great growing pains like everyone and every rookie, but that kid is skilled. Um, Handle, size, strength, versatility, he has all of it. I think that Jabari on the flip side is the one who is the safest bet with the most upside. So if you go like upside, safest bet, like all that put into, you know, one, I think that he's probably uh, my, my close second or even like a 1A, 1B type Um Chet Holmgren, who I know all of you Pacers fans love out there. Um, he uh, 
He's the biggest question mark. He's the biggest question mark. And because of that, I probably want to cover him the most because he's so unique and he's so polarizing and he's such a big, you know, uh, a big swing, basically. If you you swing on him and you hit, you're going to look like a genius if, if he turns out to be like a really, really great player. But Cam, you can you can chime in here. I, I, think, Holmgren, I think Holmgren has the highest ceiling out of anybody yes. in this draft, just because I do think he can kind of give you a. Uh, he, he, I mean, obviously, I, there's the Dirk Nowitzki. Zach shaking his head. Ignore him, Cam. Continue your thoughts, please. <laughs> obviously, like there's the Dirk Nowinski comparison with Chet. I don't think that he necessarily like he's he is. I, I think you know once he gets the body thing figured out, and I, I do think that. You know, the NBA is getting better and better at at figuring out a fitness program, figuring out a weight program, and even like maybe waiting like a year or two on the centers now, where it's like you can't, I I don't necessarily think it's, um, it's as fair to judge centers really in the NBA than as, you know, comparing like other draft prospects, but the defense, the the all around game that you can get with Chet Holmgren, I think is. It, most intriguing to me, like as a, you know, potential number one pick as a rider, James, I'm, I'm kind of surprised you didn't say Ivy because I, I do think that would probably be the, that probably. Gets nah, so here's why I didn't say Ivy. I have nothing against him at all. I think he's, I think he could be a very dynamic player. It's just that I, I feel like I already know so much about him. Yeah. From reading everything in the, in, in, that goes on with Purdue, knowing that his mom coaches at, you know, Notre Dame and knowing those ties and him being in the indie, indie bubble already, it, um, it, it, it makes it seem like I already know him in a sense. Um, so that's, that's why I didn't put him on there. I have nothing against him. Um, Pacers fans, Purdue fans. And, and I, I certainly agree I'm not with against you the on, on the other, on the other ideas that you had, like regarding that top four um, it with, you know, I, I, Jabari probably has a slightly higher floor than Bancaro, but again, you're looking at like, you know, there was a there's some really good points that I heard about, like, OK, you know, Bancaro has an easier time creating his shot. But, you know, Jabari may be a little bit better shooter. I guess when you're looking, you know, they, they kind of have the same role. They're a bigger wing who can, you know, get the shot. And then, you know, Bancaro has a little bit more of a body to him. I guess, like, how do you evaluate these big wings like in today's in today's game and like, where would you necessarily see like a Bancaro versus Smith argument coming down to? I think it just comes down to what you just said. I think for, for Jabari, it's like the, the raw athleticism that you see. Um, you look at his body, you're like, man, this dude could be really, really dynamic. Um, but Paolo, it's like he's so skilled already um, that you can't always bank. People are so like, oh, well, you can teach these things. Eh, like, I don't know how much you can really teach someone to become like Paolo if he's available. So I think it comes down to how big you want to swing and, and how good you feel about, like you said, the ceiling and the floor. Yeah. Um, the floor with, with Paolo is, isn't bad because he's a good player right now. But I think the floor with, with Jabari is a little bit more modern NBA because he's able to move. He's probably a better defender. Um, switchability is, is such a big thing in the NBA these days. So that's what it comes down to. Um, for me, but I think if, like I said, if I had number one pick, I'd probably pick Paolo just because of the skill, the size, the strength, and the ability to pair him with other guys you already have in your roster. Um, again, this is just me spitballing here because, yep. as we all know, these this is not the NFL. You're not guaranteed anything. Um, they have a ten percent chance. Ten point five, I think, is like the percentage or something like that. For- yeah. So right now, the I think the Pacers probably have the best odds of drafting fifth. So I, I I've said like I think there's a clear top four mm-hmm. in in this year's NBA draft. I think one through three is probably a toss up between Holmgren, Smith, and Bancaro. I think whoever is drafting four is going to be thrilled to be able to pick Jaden Ivy. Mm-hmm. Let's say the Pacers do get the number five pick. Where, at, what other prospects do you think the Pacers should be looking at in that, in that position? That's that's the tough thing. They actually have like a, a, they have actually, I think a greater chance to end up top four than it is to be like five. It's just depends. It's like based off these ping pong balls and how they bounce. But <laughs> for me, I know they had. Um, I'm blanking on his name right now. He's from Arizona. Benedict um, Matherin, my guy. Yeah, I think that he 
could very well be, you know, I, I, hey, it might be a big swing, but he looks like he could legitimately come in and be a, a very good pro player, uh, potential all-star caliber player. Um, so I would say him. I know this will maybe make some Purdue IU fans upset. Keegan Murray's got to be in that conversation as well because yeah. of the versatility. And again, big wings are the future of the NBA. And frankly, the Pacers don't have enough of them. Um, no. you, know, you, you look at their defense specifically. Um, yes, Miles Turner has been out, and it, and it looked really bad just the end of the season. But I don't, frankly, I don't think they were trying to win very many games. Um, but you do need some of some wing guys who can help with that perimeter defense. I know uh, Rick Carlisle mentioned that you know Malcolm Brogdon was out, Chris Duarte was out, um, DJ McConnell was out. But you could never have enough wing defenders in the NBA, especially if you're able to get in the gym with them and help them learn how to shoot the ball. Because now you look at a guy like O'Shea Brissett. 35% from three, um, can switch, can can guard the, the one through four. These are the type of guys that, you know, make a an NBA defense go from bad to respectable, respectable to good, good to great. I mean, you look at Boston, which is like obviously the cream of the crop. That's all they have is, is big wings <laughs> you can switch and, and body up and, 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 you know, get out on the perimeter and, and things like that and, and get deflection. So, those two will probably be like my my two at the five spot. I'm um, sure I'm probably missing somebody. I'm not a huge draft board guy. I'm not like, you know, sitting up thinking about who they could get because to me, it's kind of a waste until you know what pick you have. So I can promise you all as soon as we find out on May 17th what pick the Pacers have, then you'll start to see me put out my, okay, who, who should they get with this pick? and what see, that, That's what I keep telling Zach on these mock drafts. He's so eager to – get another one out there but I'm like we already have one we already have our bid for it. yeah <laughs> it's just it's hard to say man out. it's so hard to say because there's just so much that rides on this pick mm-hmm. the biggest pick arguably in franchise history and, and obviously the biggest pick in um you know in, in the last 30 plus years so um one unique thing is that the Patriots haven't had I believe they haven't had a number one pick in franchise history so no, um, I'm sure a lot of fans and um, front office folk would love for that to change this offseason. So we'll see. I mean, I don't think that you could have really asked for a better chance and, you know, at, at a top five, top four, top three pick. Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as, like, you know, like I said, as long as the basketball gods don't just burn them and end up, they end up with, like, ninth, uh, they're yeah. anywhere between one through five, um, one through six even. I think that they – are in good position to be, you know, getting a really good player. But obviously, like you said, that top three range, I think you're yeah. getting a player that could definitely change your franchise. I know I know Zach is is in the back of his mind. He's kind of hoping for them to be at like seven so that he can justify like a writing. This is why the Pacers should take shade on sharp column. <laughs> I did see this. I saw people talking about him. And he's 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 a guy that's an interesting prospect. Dude, he's I, I think he legitimately would be the best player in the draft in the right situation. Like he has what well, I remember his high school tape. I remember him playing in a, a game against Castle High School down in Evansville. And they played at the Ford Center and he just lit the team up in like 51 points. Like I, I don't think I've ever seen a player have that much gravity in a game. And like we had Romeo Langford in there the year before. So like, you know, we were used to that gravitational force of, oh yeah, the Ford center sold out with 10,000 people here and we're watching a high school game. But, like, but here's the thing though, here's the thing. And I, and I, and I'm sorry to do this to you, but nobody cares what you did in high school. Oh, and I know. I, I get all it. of them, all of them. This, and not, this not me being like rude. I'm just being honest. Like all of them, were the man when they were in high school, every single one. I mean, it was it, one of my most exciting times of the year, uh, which was one of the weirdest times of the year, was when the, they had the Omicron, you know, COVID outbreak around the league. And so all the these teams are signing these, you know, guys that I had never heard of, and that includes the Pacers. And they'd signed, you know, a guy and you'd look him up and he was the two-time player of the year from wherever state he went to or state he grew up in as, as a high schooler. So, uh, or the two-time, you know, player of the year in college or a four-year starter and, or maybe the all-time leading scorer. Like, I mean, all these guys are the man. Like, if you look at – give you one, for example, off the top of my head, not even off the top of my head, but like one that we are familiar with, 
Terry Taylor. He is arguably the greatest player in Austin P history. And in, 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 in for the majority of his rookie season, he was like this fringe NBA guy until he was able to get, you know, obviously the multi-year contract. And even now he's probably still a fringe NBA guy. So I would no, say. Yeah, I, I remember I went it. to, like, if you're just talking about like high school, this in Indiana, obviously we get, we have it a little bit lucky. I remember going to a regional between Valparaiso and East Chicago Central back when Valpo had Robbie Hummel and Scott Martin and East Chicago Central had Etwan Moore. And that place was wild. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's, that and like that's always the thing. It's like I, I I do agree with Zach. I think Shadon Sharp is going to be a very interesting prospect. I think mm-hmm. once people start to see him work out, it should be it should be pretty interesting. But um, yeah, I, I I think if I I don't necessarily I don't know if there's really a awful pick for the Pacers to make like in the top six because I think like any of those guys could help them. Like you mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. Maturin being able to pair with. Uh, Halliburton you have Keegan Murray shooting you know you have maybe some of these other people that you know can come in I think Ivy just the explosiveness mm-hmm. um, you know I, I think the Pacers are going to you know I, I think they're going to be able to find a guy you know in that one to six range we're just going to have to figure out you know exactly where the where the ping pong balls finish exactly and that's not to again not to disrespect what Zach was saying at all I just think that it's, it's predicated more on his upside now and what he's done in college, and like you said, the, 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 the buzz you see around him now has a lot to just do with what he's done at the college level and what he could possibly do at the pro level. And if anything, I think the biggest thing that the people probably look at when it comes to these high-profile prospects in, in your high school days is just the character. Like, is mm-hmm. this, is this, has the character always carried through from high school until now? Because that's usually when these guys blow up and become – you know, the man or the star, especially with social media now, you can become famous so fast. I mean, you look at some of these guys and they've already got millions of followers and, and, and you know, TikTok videos where they're going viral and stuff like that already. So um, it'll be an exciting summer. I think that, you know, for me, one of the weirdest things about this summer is that once the pick is found out and whenever they make the pick, everything will be about that pick. So I'm, I'm like, whoever it is, um, you think you're talking now or you, oh, just get prepared. Cause you're I mean, <laughs> every single time there's going to be availability. I'm going to have to talk to you. I mean, it, yeah. it's like the Tyrese Halliburton when he got here with the Pacers, like he's going to get have to, he's going to have to get used to like being the face of this franchise and probably talking after every game. And early on in the summer at summer league, you know, at any available workout at preseason that this top pick We'll definitely have to get used to just hearing us ask about what's next, how he's progressing, those types of things, because, I mean, there will never be enough content to provide on that pick, especially leading up to what could be one of the you know biggest um, or not biggest, most exciting seasons um, of this new look Pacers team. Mm-hmm. So, so I have one last question for you before uh, we ask you about uh, a story. Uh is IU going to win the Big Ten next year? Not a chance. Yes. Not a chance. Not, and you know what's funny? Um, I enjoy the back and forth a lot. I don't think people really understand that I'm not, like, that serious when I say I hate IU. It's just, like, a, it's just a rivalry thing. It's not like I, I legitimately, like, hate the school, hate the people there. Like, it's just it's just fun to oh, no. not yeah, like a school. It's great to – I love making fun of West Lafayette. Like, it's 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 a dreary town. The best thing going for it is a, is a burger place with, like, 30 seats. There you go. I mean, it's, it's fun. But I do think that, that their recruiting class is legit. Yeah, um, I think Mike Woodson this year getting them to the NCAA tournament, winning a game. Uh, I know some people might not count it, but whatever. It counts in my book. We're counting it. We're counting it. I mean, it counts in my book, and it counts in the record book as well, so you might as well. Yeah, it's Um, like, you know, picking up the class that they did, they have three uh, five-stars, you know, three guys within the top 25, and and, uh, Jalen Huchifino, Malik Renault, and the other guy whose name escapes me at the moment. But this is, like, this is the best recruiting class. There's a lot of buzz, obviously – you know, there's been a lot of roster turnover at IU. You had a, a few guys go into the uh, into the transfer portal. I think Christian Lander is due to announce wherever he's going today. He was he was kind of hyping himself up on Twitter. Um, I guess like kind of just you know we obviously you know Purdue's still going to have Zach Eady. 
Um, you know, they're you can't get rid can't get rid of these guys. Yeah, um, got Caleb first over there who will probably get some more burn, and he's a you know Indiana guy. I saw him play in high school as well, and he was he was pretty darn good. But I do feel like obviously IU finally Caleb Banks. That's the guy who uh, the other recruit from that's coming to IU. Obviously IU they finally did get their win against Purdue, first time in 900 days or something like that. How do you see like this? Does it does seem like it's going to be a little bit more exciting because I do think IU and Purdue have a chance of being like the two, two of the top three teams in the big 10. How does that, like, what kind of buzz do you think that's going to bring back to Indy to, to the state to, you know, kind of just this, this basketball, this rivalry, because it's, it's been terribly, terribly one-sided. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It hasn't felt much like a rivalry. Right. Um, and as an yeah. outsider, and I wasn't even a dig. It's literally just, I mean, like eight and one in the last nine games. Yeah, something like um, that. And obviously that 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 one that you, that you got off of was was a was a pretty big one. So um I think it'll be good for the state of Indiana. And like I said, I like trash talk. I like, as John Morant said, the smoke. Like I like when you bring it, run up the chimney, all that stuff. Um, it's fun, man. Like that's what makes college basketball great. I think one of the things that um fans kind of have to get over is when other fans, you know, enjoy beating you or enjoy when your team loses or doesn't do something. Well, like that's a rivalry in my opinion. Like I think some people think it's like, like this head to head thing. It's like, no, I like, if I'm an IU fan, I want IU to be great. I want Purdue to be awful. And then the vice versa is like, that's, that's, that's what it's about. And if those teams are on two even playing fields, then you won't have one side chirping all the time versus the other side and bringing up, you know, what happened yesteryear, yesterday or whatever. Um, I think that's a good thing to have. And, and, and frankly speaking, the way I look at sports, no one cares about what happened like the game before. Like if we come out this season or whatever and IU beats Illinois, my alma mater, um, you are free to rain down on me and tell me how bad Illinois is. Now, vice versa, if Illinois comes out and beats Purdue or beats IU, I'm going to tell you how great Illinois is. And then for the person who comes in my mention, well, we, you haven't won a national championship. We won one. I don't care about what happened back in 1980-whatever. I was not even alive. <laughs> um, so I think that, to me, is what makes uh, the rivalry fun because if all you're going to bring up is past stuff, it's, it's no fun. But if you can inject some new blood into it, and speaking specifically about IU and Purdue – if you can have some really good games, um, some back and forth there, I think it's good for the Big Ten, good for the country, just because you got two, you know, um, fan bases who are proud right here in this state, and you throw in Notre Dame, and I mean, that's why they call, you know, kind of like the Hoosier State, basketball is different here. You kind of believe that because um, of those programs. So it'll be fun. I'm excited for it just because um, I think the energy from college basketball is a lot different than the pros. Like all the playoff games you see now, that's like every Saturday in college. You know, yeah, college basketball, every I, it's 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 been my biggest critique of the NBA is just like there are definite times where it's just the it's just not there. Like mm-hmm. obviously, you know, the product is probably better. Just obviously, the product is better from an overall talent level. You're going to see better things, but the passion, the what you're going to see, like just the excitement, is just. You're not necessarily going to, you know, going to get it in like a December when, no. you know, Indianet when the Pacers are on the, you know, back end of a back-to-back against like Sacramento. Orlando. Four yeah, I mean, that's, it's just it's the truth. Yeah, it's the truth. I mean, you're not going to see a lot of diehard fandom in the NBA or even a lot of sellouts unless you're, you know, a really good team um, or just one of the premier like iconic teams like the Knicks or something like that. But yeah, you're right about that. And that's kind of what I miss and why um, I hopefully, you know, I, this time next year, I won't be talking to you guys. Or if I am, I'll be talking to you about what's going on in the playoffs because I, I, I'm jealous and envious because yeah. I have friends now that I've made on the NBA beat who I'm just so um, envious of because I can't go out there and cover a playoff game like them because these games, um, the energy looks so yeah. Crazy. Like, I mean, imagine covering that John Morant game. I got a friend, oh, Michael Cole, God. commercial appeal. I'll shout him out. Go check out his work. He's been awesome. He he, he does a ton of stuff, writes a ton of stuff. Um, imagine covering that game or being in that building. And uh, as CJ McConnell told me, you know, gamers feel how, field house gets pretty rocking when there's a playoff game. 
Um, and I think the fans would really appreciate that, especially if they were to make even a playing game. If you just give them something where it's do or die, that's that's the best kind of basketball, in my opinion. Yep. And exactly. And let's let's start. It'll be it'll be one thing, you know, if, if the Pacers do make the playoffs, hopefully we are talking about, you know, a Pacers game five with some excitement next year instead of what I what me and you have to look forward in a Bulls game five tonight. <laughs> right. No Levine COVID protocol, no oh, Caruso concussion protocol. Let's I, I mean, I I think that there. Um, I, you kind of have to be it, – it's one of those things like looking at the Bulls this year. It's like you kind of have to be happy with how the season turned out, but at, at the same time you kind of have to be disappointed because I, I do think this is a team that showed a lot more flashes of, you know, being like a top four seed in the East. Um, but now it's just the injuries, the, you know, the struggles against the top – I, this is not necessarily – I'm not necessarily looking forward to this game. Um, they, they got game two. That was honestly more than I more than I expected with yeah. the Bulls. But it's like – I don't know. It's like watching a team like that, it's, it just feels weird sometimes when it's like you know – you kind of know what's going to happen. You're, you're, we're going to need Levine to go for 50. Like Patrick Williams is going to have to play the best defense of his life. Vucevic is going to have to score 30. Oh man, I, I guess like I, I don't want to say it's it's too early. It's like it's right time to start looking at next year for the Bulls, but I kind of want to say that it's time to start looking at next year with the Bulls. I think we can kind of start getting ready for the offseason talk with them as well. It's time to start looking. I'm telling you right now, no need to no need to not rip the band-aid off Cam. <laughs> Zach, don't you smile too much, man. My my childhood team, the Bulls are are definitely um, they made some moves. And, and hey, this, this they, is my childhood team, too, man. I know, man. It, it, I was it's talking tough. with that. My fandom's kind of shifted. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Honest to God, one of my favorite – we were talking about playoff moments kind of yesterday, just going back and forth. One of my favorite playoff moments is that series that they had with the Celtics that went seven games. You had – I sent Zach the video yesterday of that – steal and dump that Joakim Noah yes, had. Yes. Like yes. I, I, that's yes. the type of excitement that you need to get behind a team in the playoffs. And it's, it's just been unfortunate because I, I just haven't felt that way about the bulls in, in a while. And especially this year, you know, you're coming into this series and it's like, man, you're looking at, you were, you're just, I was looking at the teams and I'm like, Oh my God, I hope Miami like falls into the three seed because that's, that was like the only team I felt that the bulls really had a chance against. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny you brought that play up because I remember that play. And I remember a couple of plays like when Derrick Rose, after the ACL injuries, banked in at three against the Cleveland. I was uh, it was my freshman year in college. I remember screaming and running down my freshman dorm and um, probably making a lot of people mad, but I didn't care. It was, it was the playoffs. Um, and, and even like when Todd Gibson dunked on D. Wade um, that one time. Like, even that defensive games. stop against the Heat uh, when yeah. – Noah shut down LeBron like in, in game one of the Eastern Conference Finals uh, yep. when whatever year that was. I remember I was going nuts for that. Yep. See, these are my moments. Now I got to talk about like Victor Oladipo being goaltended against and stuff like that. But um, all jokes aside, I think that, you know, the, 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 the Bulls made some good decisions. They, they obviously made a lot of pushes. But, I you know, I, um, I think that they – I don't think they were ever a true title contender. No, yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think as good as DeMar DeRozan played this year and as deserving as all the praise that I think he's gotten this year. And I think the, the chip on his shoulder from everyone saying like, oh, this is the worst acquisition yeah. in the offseason, so on and so forth. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, they, they, they were going to need some quality performance. They were going to need like an all NBA performance from Levine. It just. Like I said, it just goes down to it's like the way they started, you know, when, you know, when they were fighting with Miami and the going back for the one and the two seed versus the way it finished with, you know, Lonzo being injured and Alex, Alex Caruso being injured um, and uh, the COVID struggles and Vucevic being up and down. You know, you get Williams back and he's had some flashes. Um, you know, he had a 20 point he's had a 20 point game this series, but he's also had three games in with like one, five and six. And it's just I, I I'm looking forward to to it though because I do think that you know this is a Bulls team they're going to have like an 18 18 or 19 in the draft I think 
I, I've been targeting like Walker Kessler from Auburn. I think he would bring a lot to them. I think that would cover up a lot of needs that they have, especially, you know, defensive, defensively in space and spacing. Um, but obviously, first things first, you need to sign Levine. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's priority number one. He's your he's obviously the youngest of the two stars. Um, he's legit, as we've all seen. Um, but I just think that for this particular series, this particular game, um, it's, as my sister would say, OVA. It's over. Um, you're going against Giannis. He is a menace. And it's so funny watching the game. I watched the last uh, couple of games with my family back in Chicago and uh, got my uncle yelling at the TV screen, you know, just, just stay in front of him. And I'm like, Hey man, the entire league has tried that. Yeah. And he's just too fucking good. He takes two dribbles from half court to the to the basket. You can't. He had a fifty point game against the Pacers uh, in Milwaukee. I was there. It was the most unexciting fifty point game ever because all he did was just dunk on everyone, which was amazingly great. But it was so amazingly great that it was boring in a sense because there was no really hardness to it. It was just I'm a better athlete than you. I'm more relentless than you. I don't get tired and my arms are longer than yours. Yeah. I'm more skilled than you. And he just did it. I mean, he literally probably dunked it five or six times and maybe shot, maybe made like 15 shots in the paint that night. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I, again, I'm hoping that next year, this time, um, I won't have too much time to watch the Bulls or any other team because I'll be watching the Pacers. And, and I think that that's the goal. And I wrote about it actually in a piece that just went up on our site this, this morning, I believe. With, uh, Tyrese and, I got you. Yeah, Tyrese and Buddy, you know, basically saying that they they want to taste the playoffs. For Tyrese, mm-hmm. he's going into year three, never sniffed the playoffs. And, and for Buddy, he's going into year seven and never yeah. sniffed the playoffs. So um, these are two guys who are hungry for that experience. And I think that, you know, given whatever pick you get, um, the health the, uh, of Miles Turner and potentially making some moves, whether it's moving Malcolm Brogdon or someone else, um, you should be, in my opinion, um, able to contend for um, a top 10 seed that where you're, again, contending for a top eight seed and making the playoffs officially. All right. My last question uh, before we let you go, because you've given us so much of your time today. Do you have a favorite uh, story from covering the team this season that won't get you fired? <laughs> it won't get me. F- <laughs> oh man, um, I don't have anything like crazy. Um, I, I pretty much share whatever is going on via Twitter, via social media. I feel like I'm pretty open, um, with the ups and downs in, in that regard. Um, I will. Uh, I'll give you all. It was, I'll, I'll put it like this. So I don't know if you all were, were, were aware of the TJ McConnell thing that happened with when I, with my story. Do you all, are you aware of this? I am not, no. All right. So this is, <laughs> this is how it goes when you're, you know, in the, in the media. So um, we were anticipating that Tyree, that not Tyrese, that TJ McConnell would come back. Right. So anytime, like you all know that you can t- anticipate something's going to happen, you pre-write the story. And so I pre-wrote this story saying that he was back um, before it officially came out. It, might, it was the same day as basically as that, as that he came back. I think it was against Philly in, uh, in uh, Gamers Fieldhouse. And so I was walking into Gamers Fieldhouse, got a text from, you know, important, important people on Patriots side. And they're saying, hey, uh, James, did you, uh, you know, did you know your story's up already? Like, who told you this? I'm like, huh? Like, and I'm checking. And I guess <laughs> someone over on, like, on the editing side uh, actually put the story out prematurely. Oh, and so, man. Um, I broke that TJ McConnell was coming back, although I didn't know officially. I just wrote it <laughs> just in case it was supposed to happen. And um, I guess someone on our editing side got a little confused or whatever about what happened. And so it got posted early. And um, there was this running joke, basically, because um, you know I, I took the story down right away. Um, but obviously the damage was done a little bit and I had to deal with the, the little backlash of that. But then um, Rick Carlisle comes out for his pregame press conference and he goes, and it's always at like, if the game is at like <laughs> seven, he'll talk to us at like 5.30, I believe. What, you know, it's always an hour and a half before if it's a home game. And so he comes out at 5.30 and he's like, hey, is it 4.52 yet? And we're all looking around like, he's like, hey, is it 4.52? And I realized that's the time that the story got posted. 
And he's like, hey, by the way, he's back, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so, <laughs> yeah, I was, I had to deal with that and everyone's laughing at me. And um, it wasn't necessarily like my fault. It was just, I guess, like, you know, just, you know, internal communication got to be a little bit better. Uh, I guess it didn't be star. It was something we all learned from. It wasn't a huge deal. But um, it was funny that that uh, Rick Carlisle took it in stride like that. And basically, I just had to eat my crow for like a day or two. Um, it's a story that I'm sure I'll probably never really live down. Um, but I took it in stride, man. Like he he mentioned that, uh, you know, he said, hey, he's back. You know, you got that, blah, blah, blah this or that. And uh, he, and, I, and I just laughed. He was like, hey, I'm glad you're able to have fun with it. And I was like, hey, this, this I've been having fun all season. And, uh, you know, that, that, was, that was how that went. So that was definitely a humbling experience. And uh, I know now that if you have a story that you want to pre-write just in case something happens, always, always, always put do not publish in the headline until that way, you know, no one on the other side or no one looking at the story, editing it for me, um, thinks it's a story that, uh, that should be going online right away. So, um, thankfully, you know, it wasn't, you know, uh, a, you know, star superstar type of player. I'm not on like the Lakers beat of the Knicks before I'm going to have, you know, I probably had maybe five or six fans reach out to me and say, Hey, you know, yeah, he's back or wait, 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 what are you saying? He's not back. It's all this type of stuff. But I'm sure if I was, you know, on a bigger beat or something like that, oh, or a national report. You never live I it down. I know, right? So it was one of those things where you learn. And I think it was honestly a good transparent moment for everyone to kind of see that I'm human. Um, we're all human on our side. Yes, I got the blue check um, and I'm verified, but it doesn't mean like everything I say is 100% accurate all the time. I guess that's my goal, but being a human, I always fall short of that goal because you just make mistakes sometimes. So that's a mistake, though, that I won't make again. I reckon I could promise you that just because um, when you have the, the coach yelling out 452, 452 at you um, after you <laughs> published a story, um, you know, that you learn pretty quickly that, uh, that that'll never happen again. So uh, that was a fun one. It was, it was pretty funny. Um, and again, something that as the rookie, I guess I had to, you know, kind of take. So no pink backpack, but. So you're not going to pre-write uh, Pacers like one through six on the draft lottery? Yeah, no, 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 no. Like, honestly, like whenever they find out what pick or number they have, I probably pre will pre-write something. Um, because as you all know, and I don't know if people really are familiar with this, um, whenever there's like a, a big news that comes out and you know, that everyone kind of knew it was going to happen. And like, you you know, ESPN or, or us or someone else, any star or someone else tweets something out. And there's like a full-blown story, like five seconds after this got announced. There's no way anybody can write all that stuff in <laughs> five minutes. Um, it's pre-written. All that stuff is pre-written. It's just, again, timing is everything. It's like throwing the alley-oop. You just can't throw it at the alley-oop too early. Um, instead of dunking the ball, I missed and whiffed and I had to deal with the, the naive, I can't even say the wrath of Rick Carlisle, just the laughs of Rick Carlisle and others because they uh, they know that I'm new to this and I'm learning. So I'll be a much more seasoned veteran going into year two, and hopefully I can, you know, get that most improved player award. <laughs> there we go. All right, Jays, can't thank you enough for this hour of your time. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, and I'm sure Cam had went, may, many more Bulls questions and hot takes I know. to spout <laughs> off, but uh, – I wanted to get your insight on the Pacers as uh, we live off the uh, or come off the worst season of all. Well, not all time, but pretty close it's to up it. There, yeah. Um, so do you have any work you want to brag about to uh, people who might be listening or anything like that? Yeah, I would just say uh, continue to check out Indie Star. I'm a little slow right now, but I'll try to keep it as fresh as I can. Uh, I'm doing a lot of behind the scenes work to hopefully build better connections with players, um, their representative, things like that to hopefully – like I said, bring you all better content next season. Um, and I'll even say this. Uh, I'll be covering the WNBA. Uh, I know I'll do the Fever season opener. Sweet. Um, and I'm, I'm like 90% sure that I'm going to do their preseason opener this upcoming Saturday against the Chicago Sky, which is, again, my hometown team. Um, and, and shout out to Dana Evans, who's from Gary, Indiana. Um, obviously won a championship in a rookie season. So it'll be a lot of Indiana ties in that game. So yeah, just stay tuned. Um, it'll be a little, like I said, it won't be that exciting and not a lot going on these next couple of weeks, but as soon as that lottery day comes, 
Um, once that happens, there's no looking back, and it should be a very exciting offseason. And I probably won't be able to breathe a little bit until, you know, just before the season starts back up again. And, and we're, we're hoping that things are a little bit different next year. So um, thanks for having me on. As always, you can follow me, Romeoville Kid. I try to respond. I try to engage. Um, you know, IU fans, you know, stay away from me. Um, but, again, it's all love, as always. With that, thanks for listening, wherever you are. And uh, sign off for Cam and myself and Mark at work in Kokomo. Uh, you're listening to Six Man Pod.